It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of May 4th, 2008. May the 4th be with you. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Here's a bit of late news. I'm not sure this qualifies exactly as a news bulletin, but I finally installed Vista Service Pack 1. The process was advertised to take about an hour, or I think they said actually an hour or more. It completed in about 50 minutes. Completely uneventful. Boring, in fact. That's the kind of update you want. I just did that yesterday, and so far I'm watching to see what, if anything, has improved. So I'll have a complete report in a few weeks, probably around June 1st. Also, you might want to know that I'm running Firefox 3 Beta 5 on the Windows machine, and it's performing quite well, too. But that's another story for another time. Undergraduates seem to spend a lot of time drinking beer. At least that's what I'm told. Not that I ever did that on my own, of course. No, not a chance. You know, I think about that just about every day when I receive a pile of spams offering to sell me some degree from a prestigious, non-accredited university based on my life experiences. Let's be honest. These are phony degrees. Fakes, forgeries, bogus lies. I know it, and the people who offer these degrees know it even if some of them protest on their websites that the degrees are for entertainment only. Some of them also offer fake transcripts. I presume those are also for entertainment only. I know I certainly would be entertained if my doctor turned out to have a phony degree. But then I started thinking, okay, maybe I want a phony degree, but why should I have to pay somebody else to create it for me? It seems that the least I could do would be to have the initiative to perform the task of creating my own forged diploma. Well, I I happened to have those thoughts on a Sunday afternoon. I was relaxing. A Canadian beer or two were on my schedule, so I opened Corel Draw and started tinkering. Less than 90 minutes later, I had three degrees that, if placed on my wall, would engender confidence, even though I did nothing to earn them. Take a look at the website, www.techbiter.com, and you'll see my three degrees. I figure if I'm in for a penny, I might as well be in for a pound, so I didn't stop with a phony bachelor's degree. I created a master's diploma and one showing that I had earned a Ph.D., so from now on, please, just call me Dr. Blinn. According to the first diploma I created, I earned my bachelor's degree in obfuscation at the University of West Mudsock. If you look at the larger image, You'll see that the dean of the school was James Dean. And there's a windmill graphic. I thought that was kind of a nice plus, since I tend to tilt at windmills from time to time. For my master's degree, I moved on to the Universitatum Nomnutum. It seems that I graduated there with honors. The university seal contains a lot of small text that doesn't foster much confidence, but I figured that probably nobody is ever going to get close enough to read the text that says, we're trying to make this look like it says something important or intelligent, but the real fact of the matter is that it's just a bunch of blather inside this ten-pointed star, and we hope you won't read it. Well, when it came time to earn my Ph.D., neither the University of West Mudsock nor the Universitatum Donatum offered what I needed. I knew that the only school that offered what I needed for my Ph.D. was All Caps University. My three diplomas, which I printed on the same paper stock, probably would be more convincing if I had used different paper stocks. 
And of course, if I really wanted to make them look convincing, I would have used better graphics. But the sad thing is there are people who believe that it's the piece of paper that confers the knowledge. They waste money buying a degree from one of these bogus paper peddlers and then convince themselves that that paper qualifies them for a position that they're not qualified for. With luck, these losers will be hired for positions where they can do little harm. And meanwhile, the paper peddlers feather their nests with payments from people who feel that their life experiences qualify them for a degree. So I mentioned that I had installed Vista Service Pack 1, and I thought this would be a good time to include another view of Vista. You've heard my opinion of Vista. I've said that it's good because there are pieces of Vista that are very good. And I've said that it's bad because some parts are bad. I've even gone so far as to compare it to the Windows Millennium Edition. So, in short, if you're trying to decide whether to upgrade to Vista, I probably haven't been very much help. We'll see what happens after I work with Service Pack 1 for a while. Well, recently I received a note from Marshall Thompson, and his views are about as conflicted as mine. Marshall, by the way, is the owner of TCR Computers in Pickerington and Lancaster. I asked him if I could use his commentary, and he granted me permission to do that. For many people including Marshall and me. Vista continues to be a puzzle. So here's Marshall's report. He said that he loaded Vista Business with Service Pack 1 on his main desktop at home. He said he really wanted it to work. He said he likes Vista's Aero interface, and I do too. Even the gadgets are finding a home in his heart. Here are Marshall's basic data points. He says the basic operating system install with the updates went okay, as long as you can call two and a half hours okay. He says Vista liked his relatively new Intel mainboard with integrated graphics, and it even gave the integrated video a 3.2 rating. A 3.2, by the way, is fairly high on the scale. Hardware drivers were a piece of cake for the mainboard video sound, network, 22-inch ViewSonic LCD, and Epson R1800 printer. The network connection took two tries, but Marshall says it was probably him not paying attention to something. The server drives mapped just fine. His external hard drive popped up and provided access to the backup files. Office 2007 politely installed, setting up Outlook with several email accounts. That was smooth, he says. Office 2007 imported his Office 2003 PST backup file with no issues. And Marshall says he has a couple of old 16-bit games. And he's always moved by just copying the folder to the new Windows install with Vista. Everything worked the same way, and they even let him keep his high scores intact. Unfortunately, Paradise didn't last. Marshall says over the next three weeks he saw a number of glitches. Notable glitch one was that his Quicken 2005 would not install. Marshall says his finances aren't very sophisticated, and the last thing he wanted to do is buy a new copy of Quicken with features that he would never use and have to learn a new interface. Intuit has some workarounds to get Quicken 2005 to load on Vista, but that didn't happen. Quicken 2008 does appear to run without problems, he says. Photoshop CS2 is buggy with Vista. That's pretty well documented. Given Marshall's self-proclaimed amateur status as a photographer, he said Photoshop Elements 6 was the fix for that. Marshall says he uses compression utility called WinRAR. It supports zip files as well as RAR files. He says he rarely has to deal with RAR files, but he does like the utility for zip files. WinRAR, he says, would not run under Vista. The problem, he speculates, is as much the developer as Vista, but it still irked him that the program wouldn't run. Now, this is odd because WinRAR isn't my primary zip utility, but I do have it installed, 
and it does seem to work okay, at least on my copy of Vista. Strike three for Marshall was the inability to get Windows Mobile 6 smartphone to sync with Vista's new mobile device program. Marshall said that one really confused him because he can sync the phone with his Vista Home Premium Notebook with Service Pack 1 not yet installed. He says he spent three days trying to get it to work, and a quick Google search revealed that he is certainly not alone with that problem. Well, I can certainly sympathize with that. I have a Windows Mobile 6 device. It's one of the low-end HP units, not a phone, just a data device. If I plug it in at home on the Vista machine, Vista loses all three external hard drives that are connected by USB. So I sync at the office and use Google Calendar to transfer the calendar between home and office. Marshall says to put this in perspective, his home computer is like just about everybody else's PC. It's used for collecting, massaging, and spitting out data. There are two old card games he mentioned, but no other entertainment packages. He didn't count them, but he guesses his primary applications are in the range of 10 to 12 programs. That's probably about on par with most people. Communications, record-keeping, printing programs, a few utilities for disk burning and such. So the percentage of program problems is pretty high, he says. Having said that, most of the problems could be eliminated if you're willing to buy new versions of the applications. The smartphone continues to be the big puzzler for Marshall because it works on one machine running Vista and fails on another. Bottom line for Marshall Thompson, he's gone back to Windows XP. He says his increasing knowledge of Vista and improvements in the installation process made the install more tolerable. Vista Service Pack 1 does seem to be more robust, he says, but he does admit that that's purely a seat-of-the-pants measurement. His three-week experience wasn't long enough to see if Service Pack 1 made Vista more stable. And he, too, says that whenever Vista becomes the topic of discussion, he's still haunted by visions of Windows Millennium Edition. Thankfully, he says Microsoft has committed to let white box builders like him sell XP through the end of this year. Well, as you know, I'm still mulling the future of the operating system. I like enough of what's in Vista to keep on keeping on, at least for now. I have finally installed Service Pack 1 on the machine as of yesterday. So within the next few weeks, I'll be making a decision about whether I stick with Vista or whether I, too, return to XP. This program is being recorded for May 4th, and I opened the show with May the 4th be with you. That's a silly reference to Star Wars. But May 4th is also the day in 1970 when four students at Kent State University were killed by Ohio National Guard troops. There are lots of websites about that event. I remember going to work that day. I was working at a small radio station in eastern Ohio, actually in the Wheeling Market, The station's talk show host's opinion was that it served them right to be killed, the students. Until that day, I felt that support for free speech was universal in the United States and that firing guns at unarmed students was something that happened only in other countries. Those were strange and difficult times. Soldiers, many about the same age as the students they shot, were killing and wounding Americans in my state. And on the other side, some misguided individuals were bombing ROTC buildings and killing people in the name of peace. It was as if the entire nation had gone mad. So in these difficult times, it is worth remembering those difficult times. There were four students killed, nine wounded. Most of them were not involved in the protest. In fact, several of them were more than a football field away from the guardsmen. If you visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see a list of those who were killed and wounded. 
1970, what happened on the campus of Kent State University seemed utterly wrong. Today, 38 years later, my opinion hasn't changed on that. In nerdly news, if you have an XP machine, Service Pack 3 is on the way. Microsoft says that XP is dead meat after June 30th, but white box builders say they've been given a pass to the end of the year. Both Dell and Lenovo say they will be able to provide new XP systems after June 30th, but that's another story. This one's about Service Pack 3. The question here is, should you allow XP Service Pack 3 to be installed now or wait for it? Well, good question. Service Pack 3 won't become an automatic download until sometime in June, so you can put it off until then if you want to. Microsoft had planned to make Windows XP Service Pack 3 available at the end of April, but didn't because there were compatibility issues. Yeah, that's surprising. Compatibility issues with Windows XP systems that run a Microsoft retail store program, dynamic retail management system. Okay, you're probably not running that on a home machine. This is a problem shared with Windows Vista Service Pack 1, which began automatic downloads last week. And that is, in fact, the problem that caused Microsoft to delay some of the automatic downloads. Microsoft says that... XP Service Pack 3 will be the final service pack for the operating system. Now, pressure could change that. If frustrated users start migrating to Macs or Linux-based machines, you can bet that Microsoft is going to put XP back on the table fast. SP3 contains all the patches and hotfixes released since XP was released in 2001. And Service Pack 3 includes network access protection. That's a feature that quarantines new PCs on the network, until they are confirmed to meet the owner's security guidelines. It looks like another setback for the Recording Industry Association of America. Some recording industry executives have finally discovered, rather belatedly, that online music sharing might have economic benefits that the industry could use profitably. But the RIAA continues to insist that such acts as storing files legally converted from a CD becomes an illegal act once those files are stored in a shared folder. U.S. District Judge Neil Wake disagrees, so bravo for common sense in the case of Atlantic v. Howell. Earlier reports suggested the RIAA considered the mere act of converting audio from CD to digital was illegal. The organization did clarify that misconception and explained that they feel the files change from legal status to illegal when they're placed in a shared folder. But Judge Wake shot an arrow through that balloon when he rejected all of the RIAA's assertions about making available and offered to distribute theories in regard to shared folders. The RIAA had sued Pamela and Jeffrey Howell for copyright infringement in 2006. The couple had a Kazaa account. Jeffrey Howell admitted loading the Kazaa software onto his computer. But the couple said they had not placed the files that they had ripped from their own CDs in the program's shared folders. Files were from CDs that he owned, Howell said, and they were on the computer solely for his use. Wake actually reversed his own order from August of last year in which he granted the RIAA summary judgment and at that time had fined the Howells nearly $41,000. So the beat goes on. Speaking of the beat going on, I have a Google Mail account that receives all messages sent to all of my several dozen email accounts. The Google Spam folder retains messages for 30 days, then automatically deletes them. Google recognizes at least 90% of the spams I receive as spams, so it seemed to me that this would be a pretty good way to keep a running account of how many spams I've received over a given 30-day period. 
Well, in the past 30 days, the count is up nearly 1,000 from the previous month. More than 7,000 spams in a 30-day period. I, of course, don't open many spams other than when I want to look at them to see if there's something I can make fun of. Would you open a message from loathsomeness19433? Loathsome. Yeah, there's one I'm going to open. And then in the past week or so, I've started seeing messages that begin with, you're a moron, and then fill in the email address. I wonder if people actually open messages like those. Unfortunately, I guess the answer is yes. These are probably the same people who buy fake diplomas. Well, thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of May 4th, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.